0: And to support us all to raise our children with more awareness, connection, and love. Welcome back to another episode of the Aware Parenting Stories Podcast. Today is part two of a series of conversations that I am blessed to be having with beautiful Danny Willow. Hi, Danny. Good morning.
1: Hi, Jess. Lovely to be here again.
0: So as we said last week, if you haven't listened to last week's episode, Danny and I are coming together to have a series of conversations about lots of different aspects of Aware Parenting because we love talking to each other about Aware Parenting, basically. So we just thought we'd record it. And we're going to be covering all kinds of different things. And today, the topic that we're going to be talking about is connecting the theory to the practice with Aware Parenting. Anything you want to say about that, Danny?
1: Just excited to be here and have these conversations again. And I think it's really important. I think when we're starting out Aware Parenting, often we might have listened to some of the Aware Parenting podcast, or we might be reading the books. And I think when we want to really start to embody it in our own homes, it's really important to really understand the theory so that we can shift into how to show up. More for our kids, and the more I think often we have to hear it multiple times before we even, and sometimes even when I, you know I listen to you and I think, Oh gosh, that's such a beautiful way of explaining it, or Gosh, I hadn't thought of that before. And you know, so I think the more we hear it, the more we can start to embody it and understand it. And I think that was kind of our purpose for sharing it in this way, which is different to other ways that aware parenting has been shared.
0: Mm, yeah, I love that, and I think it's very common for us to, like you say, need to hear this many times. And each time that we go through these things, I learn more things too, like you were saying. And I think increasingly people are coming to Aware Parenting from the beautiful Aware Parenting podcast that Marion and Lael have put so much work into. And now Marion is continuing in her beautiful way. And Whilst podcasts are beautiful spaces to to learn stuff, there are other parts of the picture that it's helpful to highlight, I think. Mm. And certainly um, when I started Aware Parenting, I read all of her books, all of Aletha Salter's books. And and often people say to me, when I ask people in like pre-consult questionnaires, how did you learn about Aware Parenting? And how familiar are you with this? Most people now aren't reading all of Aletha's books. And I think All of Aletha's books are really worth reading many times in order to get all this. But what we're trying to do in this episode is to put as much of the theory as we can and offering it, I suppose, in ways that are really accessible for people to understand. So we have come up with this beautiful way of imagining many of the aspects of aware parenting in putting together all of these lists of three. And these lists of three came from Initially, Aletha's amazing work, where she does offer lots of this theory in these really manageable, clear lists and maps. And then, of course, Marion Rose added to that, extended that, and further developed those beautiful lists in order to really clarify many of these aspects. And for us, it was really relevant too. Do you want to talk a little bit about that, Danny?
1: Yeah. So, Joss and I together co facilitate the Exploring Aware Parenting community. And this was something born out of a bit like the podcast. I think we had shared a few episodes together on here to And then we just loved talking and being together in this space and, Joss one day said to me, why don't we like run a community together? And here we are eight months later and it's been amazing. But when we were coming together and sort of visioning what it's going to be like and what it's going to look like and what did we want our little symbol that symbolized the whole community together, we ended up, we started off with one circle and then um, I said to Joss, it would be lovely if we had three and they sort of symbolized, you know, you holding one element, me holding the other element and, you know, aware parenting and the community. We're all in this community together and having these three interlocking rings and then just put together and she was like oh my god it's it's the threes everything in aware parenting comes in threes and then you you listed off all these things and I'm like how perfect is this and so in our community we've actually gone through this list quite extensively and talked about how this then relates for us to yeah those three rings and how they interlock and everything in aware parenting coming in three so yeah did you want to
0: add
1: anything to that? No, that's it. That's exactly <laughs> how it was. Yeah. So that's what we're going to
0: be going through today. All these different lists of three. Yeah. So shall we start? I and mean, yeah, just want to really acknowledge both Alitha and Marion and their amazing clarity and wisdom and, and the way that they describe things in, in ways that are mm. so so accessible and yet so so deep and profound at the same time. So shall we start with the first list of three which is the three core aspects of aware parenting the first being physical closeness and bonding having prompt and sensitive attunement to our children offering prolonged breastfeeding where possible and this is really such a central part of aware parenting and I love that it's the first aspect because it is the basic foundation isn't it and when when, when we look into how our ancestors would have raised children and how many cultures who still live deeply connected to their Indigenous ways support children, it is very much prioritising this. Mm. So this is really how we evolved to live as humans, closely connected, particularly in our very early years with this powerful prioritisation of, of attachment and safe physical connection.
1: Mm. Yeah, and I just think a lot of people who choose to do attachment parenting, like, often we find that this is the part that really resonates for so many people. And it is about this idea of having those prolonged breastfeeding for as long as feels good for everyone. And just that physical closeness, the close sleeping, the sensitive attunement, you know, always being there and being together, the physical touch, which I think is so important. So I think often that's what really resonates with lots of people. And that's what calls to them when they sort of start to delve into the different parenting paradigms. Mm. And this is certainly where I started.
0: And when my first child was born, this was my priority. Absolutely. And I prided myself on on always being by his side and always holding him. And I loved it. And it really supported us to, to make this beautiful, strong bond. And I mean, I know that often for women, it can be really tricky, particularly if you've had a very traumatic birth experience. So often... In, that's when the other aspects of aware parenting are so important for the child and for the mother in order to to help support this beautiful connection and this relationship that that is set up right from the beginning. Yeah, love that. So the second core aspect is not using punishments or mm-hmm. rewards and instead looking for underlying needs and feelings as well as peaceful conflict resolution in our families.
1: Mm-hmm. What would you like to say about that? Uh, Just that I certainly came to it for the first part as well. I think, you know, I was a full attachment parent, which I've spoken about in lots of other episodes with you. But I think for me, what I was really longing for something where I wasn't using punishments or rewards because so much of my childhood was based like that. And it really, as I was doing it in the beginning before I sort of understood aware parenting, it just felt so uncomfortable in my body. And I knew that I didn't want to do that, but I didn't really have, something else and so then when I found this I was like ah this makes so much sense and I think really if we really look at it and Marion Rose speaks about this so beautifully like children innately don't want to be bad and that's often what we see out in mainstream culture that they're bad that they they're sinful if you look at things like from religion and you know from that religious perspective that we've, we've got to behave in certain ways to be good and to receive goodness and follow like a scripture when really I sort of think that innately we we also want to be pure and we come you know if we look at children they're so pure and they're so innocent and so I look at this you know this second part of the core aspect of aware parenting which really supports this idea that children want to be they want to be balanced and they want to be in a state where they're connected with us and doing all the things that we're asking them and when they're not we start to go okay this is not them manipulating us or being a terrible person or trying to make our life hard but rather that there's something else going on for them and that's why and it talks about that underlying the needs and the feelings like what's really happening here and if we can start to identify that we can move away from using punishment and rewards and move into what she you know Aletha writes as peaceful conflict resolution and that can be with older kids you know sitting around and having beautiful conversations having family meetings it can be holding loving limits it can be all of those pieces of aware parenting which you know you and I so love talking about which I'm sure we're going to go into more detail soon.
0: Mm, I love all that. Yes, absolutely. And I remember when my son was little, before I discovered Aware Parenting, there was this program on TV about this nanny and how she used to do all the naughty step. And there was all this sort of one, two, three magic going on. And there was, I, I actually tried doing that with my son. And I just felt so awful it just made me feel really physically unwell to yes. be to be punishing him in that way. And I'm so glad that we then found where Parenting and found this, this other approach. And what I love about this core aspect is that it really speaks, like you say, about the, that our children don't need to be taught how to behave well. Yeah. That we don't need to be punishing them or forcing them or f- frightening them into being good. They are naturally good. And again, looking at that beautiful relationship between how children are behaving and what that's telling us, what that's communicating to us about how they're feeling and what they're needing. And this thing about peaceful conflict resolution, I think it's really nice too, because there are always times of conflict in our families, whether that's between us and our partners or the other parent of our children, or whether that's between us and our kids, where there are sometimes messy and and, and conflicts in moments. And so, I think, keeping coming back to this idea that we're wanting it to be peaceful and that we're wanting people to always come out of that process feeling loved. So the whole rewind and repair and all of that aspect comes into this too. I think it's really powerful. And I love as well that she included rewards as well as punishments, because punishments is fairly obvious around children feeling safe. But rewards is less less obvious often for parents and and often we're bringing quite subtle rewards into our parenting oh no we don't do rewards but we're still sort of saying oh yeah good job well done that's such a common thing to be doing but actually when we truly see how that that really robs our children of their intrinsic motivation and it it takes their way that feeling of unconditional love for them Mm -hmm. that they're loved more when they are being good or achieving highly so it's, it's a subtle, it's a more subtle part, but it's all equally important, isn't it?
1: Mm. Yeah, I'm just thinking back to when I first read Alfie Cohn's um, Unconditional Parenting piece, and I know you've interviewed him, and if you haven't listened to that, I highly recommend it, because that was an amazing podcast episode, and he's just amazing at the way he brings up all of that understanding that we start to extrinsically motivate them to do things. The price is always going to be higher. So what is, if you brush your teeth tonight, you can get a lolly tomorrow, is then going to lead to something else like a toy, which is then going to lead to something else when they're teenagers, which is like an Xbox or a trip overseas. I mean, where does it end then? Like how, how where does the game end? Because at some point, we're not going to be able to continue to buy the love, right? Like at some point, they're kind of going to go, I don't even want that anymore. And then they're going to pull back. And I think so. I love that she put that in there because, yeah, it's really easy to say, good job, good girl, good boy. You're amazing. You know, all those sort of things. But really, it's that you've got this, like you, you did it it's got nothing to do with me as the parent actually you know you brush your teeth you did that or you came down the slide well you did that it's really back on them and i think it's just the little things that they like you said those subtle little things which we can go into rewarding and that does cause a lot of damage as well so i think both of those pieces are so important and a core part of where parenting which i love so much
0: yeah yeah so good i mean we could do a whole exercise about each of these things couldn't we <laughs> So the third in that list of core aspects is helping our children to heal and recognizing that stress and trauma are the cause of behavior and emotional difficulties, and that crying with loving support and play and tantrums and raging are really powerful healing tools for our children. And this is such a big, big part of aware parenting, and it's often the part that people get most stuck on initially or most fixated on initially. And we're like, we just want to get the feelings out (laughs) because when we can see that there's feelings causing behavior, we're really, really motivated to try and support our children to get them out and so that they will then return to balance. But it's it really requires the other two aspects to be really firmly and lovingly in place in order for the third one to work.
1: Yeah, I I think that's exactly it. And I I often think something I really want to highlight, and you said this in our community, which is often people come to aware parenting for the crying, like they really know and they've listened to the podcast or they've read a bit of the books and they're like, okay, I want to try this thing and really sit in space and hold the space. and, And then they forget about the play. And I think play is, it's a little bit forgotten about in aware parenting. You know, it's not often asked in a lot of questions, although it is starting to grow this idea that we can, through play, we can actually support of releasing a lot of the feelings through laughter and connection but um yeah I, I really resonate with what you just said around you know people wanting to just do a lot of the listening but that they're both such core parts and then it equally if we can sort of show up with both the play and the laughter that we really support them to do what is so natural in their body it's like so innate for our children and yet it might not be for us because maybe we've had childhoods and suppression and all that sort of stuff but if we can show up for them with these techniques we can really support them to move and come back into balance in a way that feels really good for them. Mm,
0: Yeah. And I love how Aletha describes that as well, because what it requires of us is to be really sensitively attuned to our children to be able to see what's really going on for them. And then we can be supporting them in, in these beautiful ways. So that we have to we have the opportunity to recognize when their behavior is showing us that there's feelings there, or when they are inviting us to play in particular ways. And if we misunderstand those cues, then it's much harder to support them. Whereas when we recognize that, oh, they're playing in a, it could be that they are starting to talk in a baby voice and want you to do everything for them when they've had a new sibling arrive. And if we see that from a traditional parenting perspective, we might think, oh, they're being annoying or they're being demanding or they're being difficult. And whereas when we see it from an aware parenting perspective, we recognize that as an invitation to heal yeah. for them that they're actually asking us for and then we can move in with some regression play and and that often shifts things in a really profound way for them so yeah it's a really it's a beautiful part of the game
1: yeah love that mm.
0: so would you like to say anything else about those core aspects Danny, or should we move on to the next three
1: um just that I love them that's all <laughs> I think they're amazing and I'm so grateful to Aletha but Yeah, that's all. Let's let's move Mm -hmm. on to the next three. So holistic, isn't
0: it? Such a holistic. It is amazing. Yeah. Okay. So the next list of three is in relation to the three elements that are always behind our children's challenging behaviour, and of course, this applies to our challenging behaviour too, and that is our thoughts, our unmet needs, or painful feelings. Mm -hmm. So let's start with the thoughts. What would you like to say about that?
1: Well, I think it's our inner, and a lot of it is our inner dialogue, isn't it? And I I maybe want to start with what's happening for us because I think you've spoken to that already so beautifully. Like if we're seeing our children in a particular way, like they are being naughty, they are being manipulative. If they are showing up, they're, they're just doing this to make my day hard. You know, they're purposely throwing things or they're having a tantrum instead of, acknowledging that maybe there's just feelings or an unmet need there, of course it's going to be hard for us to show up in this way for them, right? And so a lot of it has to do, I think, with unpacking our own conditioning and what's happened to us in our childhood and acknowledging that what a lot of us experience growing up was normalised but not necessarily what's normal and that we really went through, maybe have been through experiences that are not very enjoyable, but we can actually shift that and change that for our children. And I think the first part is just to stop and to connect in with, what am I telling myself about my child right now? And can I shift that to some of the things that we're talking about here today. So can I move it into, maybe there's something going on for them. Maybe they've got an unmet need. Often I always go through the checklist. Are they hungry? Have they been to the toilet? Are they tired, particularly when there's little ones? You know, what's really happening here? Is there a a physical need that I haven't met? Is there a need for, for just for closeness and I haven't been available? Have we been apart for each other? Maybe they were at childcare for the day or whatever was happening. Like, has there been disconnect connection. And then if all of those things are kind of ticked off and you go, well, I can't, it's not those. Okay. Well then this is probably more about big feelings. Maybe there's some accumulated stress. Maybe there's even some unhealed trauma, a mini trauma or a major trauma and shifting into really being there with them. So I think that's the first part for me is identifying and shifting the the narrative.
0: Mm, Yeah, absolutely. And of course, when we do that and we check in with ourselves, we are much more likely to stay connected and compassionate with our children in a way that can actually support them with whatever is going on for, for them. And yeah, like you say, if we're telling ourselves all these things about our children, they're being annoying, they're being difficult, they're winding me up, or you know, all of these things that are such common impressions in our culture, it's really hard to stay connected and loving and compassionate towards them. And the other thing is in relation to our children and their, what they are believing or understanding or thinking about the world. And so sometimes it is that our children are behaving in certain ways because they don't understand. It might be that they're running towards the road because they don't understand that the road is dangerous. And so giving them information can be really helpful as a first response sometimes to their behavior. And we do need to make sure that our children do understand, and sometimes we sort of take it for granted that they understand things and they don't. But if we give our children information and they are continuing to behave in these challenging ways for us, then we can really understand that it's not information that they need in that moment. And if instead we are continuing to tell ourselves that it is that they don't understand, then we, again, we're much more likely to go into this disconnection and and feel, start telling ourselves painful things about our children. It's, it's an important part that we do offer this to our children, that we make sure that they understand what we're saying or, or what we're needing from them. But if they're not responding after getting this information in the way that we are wanting them to, we can be really clear that it's not information. So we don't need to keep saying, oh, it's not okay to hear it or, you know. Be gentle with the dog or whatever it is they understand and often again from this perspective where we can see the goodness in our children we know that often they do have that information they know that there's just something getting in the way of of them being able to do that in that moment
1: I just think that's so important. If if anyone wants to take away anything from the podcast so far, I think that's it because I think in a lot of consults that I do, I really hear parents say to me, but they're they're too young to understand that, you know, like they're 2 or 3, like they don't understand that and so part of me goes, we have to stop having the expectation that they understand everything because we've had X amount of years on the planet and we know about the world and they're little and we're their guide, right? So we're showing up and we're protecting them. But the another part of me goes they actually understand so much more than I think we as a society give them credit for. Like I really do think and sometimes I think they understand more than a lot of adults in the world, you know, like they really have quite a clear understanding of the world. But I love what you've just said and I think that is so important that if we... Say to them about, you know, a lot of kids run away. That's often something that you and I, we've spoken about before where, you know, kids run away and you and I have not experienced that personally. I've never had the girls run away from me. But it it is a thing that a lot of parents experience. But it's like if we're giving them the information or, or they're hitting and we're saying, I'm not willing and I'm not willing and I'm not willing... I think that's so clear isn't it that is like the evidence that you need to go okay this is clearly not about the information because even at three innately they don't want to hit they do not want to run away they do not want to you know annoy the cat they do not want to purposely pull the pots and pans out the kitchen to to do this to annoy you it's like something's happening for them here and so the purpose is then to kind of go okay What can we do in this moment to support them to move what's there? Because when they do that, then they're not going to be doing the thing that we're asking them or setting, offering that limit around.
0: Yeah. Yeah. And I I love that, Danny, because I think it's also really true that when we offer information as a first response in this lovely checklist that that Marilyn has given us and Elisa has given us it's very connecting for our children and it it's sort of countering this power imbalance that is in our relationship and this adultism that is rife in our culture to just say you are worthy of understanding this you are capable i trust you to be able to make sense of this at whatever level that you can and i want i want to connect with you and and talk to you with with kindness and with clarity and that's so often missing, isn't it? So often in our culture, people will go straight to punishing, shouting, yelling. And sometimes we do too, but that that is the only response. Whereas when we start with this really respectful interaction where we're actually giving information to our children, it's a beautiful place to start. And then when it, if it doesn't shift things, then we're like, okay, there's something else going on.
1: (laughs) Yeah. Love that. That's really clear, isn't it?
0: Yeah. So what about the unmet needs that our children, you talked about some of those physical needs for being tired, being hungry, being thirsty. What, what are some of the other needs uh, that you would be considering?
1: I mean I think when we just when I think about children in general particularly babies feel like they have until really they become a lot more independent and autonomous you know maybe around the ages of six or seven where they can start to like if they're hungry go to the cupboard and get something for themselves but you know I sort of think about that early those early years there is so much happening for them and I really think that we we don't really have a full understanding as a society as to how many feelings children have. Because even for a toddler or a young child, say three or four or five, it's like we often tell them when they're going to wake up or they they might wake us up. But then it's like we tell them when they're going to have breakfast, when they're going to get dressed, where they're going during the day. Often if they're going to care, there's lots of power over happening at care. You've got to sit at a table and eat when I tell you to, wash your hands, change your nappy. So all day they've got these adults guiding or telling them what they have to do. And so it makes so much sense to me that when they come home from those places or even just a day with us, you know, often we might have a to-do list of what we're going to do and we'll often go, okay, you know, we're going to go to the park and then we're going to go to the supermarket and we're going to come home and then we might have some quiet time or you might have a nap and, you know, I'm going to lie with you to sleep, but we've got this whole idea in our head. But our children are just in the present. They don't know what's to come often. And again, it comes back to giving information like you so beautifully just spoke about but even you know within that there's not a lot of choice and autonomy unless we're really present and aware of it and i think so over the just a general day our children will experience Lots and lots and lots of feelings about things where maybe they didn't get choice or maybe they didn't have autonomy. And this builds up. And sometimes it can build up over a day, it can build up over a few days. Maybe as they start to get older, you know, they can meet some of those needs and verbalize it more. But then again, things will happen where maybe they wanted something and they weren't able to get it, or they wanted to do a play date with someone and it didn't work out. They don't feel like going to school today. And maybe we say, well, you've got to go and I've got things on, or whatever's happening. And this all builds up in the body to a point where they are gonna need to have some sort of release. And so for me, when I'm when I'm thinking about unmet needs, that's always all obviously all those physical things, but then we have these accumulated stresses which build up as well.
0: Mm. Yeah, absolutely. And I think it's interesting with needs because what we're wanting for our children is to grow up deeply connected to their needs and very aware of what their needs are because most of us were totally disconnected from our needs as children i i had my needs were never met i never got to voice my my needs nobody ever interpreted my needs for me in a way that was positive for me And so I became an adult who was totally disconnected from my needs. I mean, so much so that I would not drink any water in a day and I would get to bed and I realized I hadn't drunk any water or, you know, some of those basic, basic things uh, or always just putting myself last. And there's that whole, you know, airplane oxygen mask analogy. And so that's really important. And so it becomes as we start to tune into our children's needs, it really supports us to tune into our own needs as well as parents. And so it really supports that healing process for us as well as, For them. And as I said, it helps them to grow up to be adults who are really connected and aware of what their needs are and that their needs matter. Mm -hmm. And this process can be super helpful for us too, because we can recognize what our children's core needs are. So I don't know about your kids, but I'd say if I was probably talking about the two highest needs for my children when they were little, and still actually for both of them, for my son, it was probably autonomy Mm -hmm. and agency and connection. And for my daughter, it was probably connection and fairness. Those were two things that were really core core needs. And so with that understanding, I was able to be so much more compassionate to them. And so if my son was having to do something he didn't want to do, or we were having to leave the house and he wasn't ready or whatever, just being aware of the fact that he had really high needs for autonomy supported me to be able to say to him in the preparation process, sweetheart, I know you really hate it when you, when you have to do something that you don't want to do, or when mummy's telling you to do something, or... I'm right here and I'm listening or just acknowledging that for him was really powerful and similarly for my daughter if there was a conflict between the children I was able to say to her "I know fairness is so important to you well that felt really unfair didn't it and so that's another really beautiful way of us attuning it comes back to that first thing about attunement being really attuned to our children
1: Yeah, I love that so much. And as you're saying that, I'm just thinking of all the different times where that comes up for us as parents. Like, And if we're not aware of that, how easy it is to judge it as something else and rather not be able to identify really what's going on underneath what's showing up um, and coming back to that achievement. So I think that's, yeah, thank you for sharing that. That's a really beautiful example. So the last one
0: is about painful feelings, and it could be painful feelings about the present, or it could be painful feelings about the past, or it could be painful feelings in the present that are connecting them to painful feelings from the past. And of course, this is true for us as adults too. But when we experience this pain, it often pushes us into, or them, into either that fight-flight response or that dissociation state, and they then need our support to release these feelings.
1: Yeah, I think, and this is, I remember reading in Alita's books and then listening to the podcast around birth trauma and just thinking, what a load of crap. Like, I don't believe that. In all honesty, like that's what I thought. There's no way. Like, how are they even to remember? That's, that's just not, I don't believe in that part of aware parenting. Like when I first started and really started delving into it, I was like, I just think that that's just too woo-woo for me to even connect with, but um, (laughs) I'm I'll never forget there's been two experiences where I'm like, wow, okay, like this is real. (laughs) The first one was, you know, Marley, her birth, she was assisted forceps. And so she used to play this game when she was younger, probably maybe like 18 months to two and a half, where she wanted to be wrapped up in in a burrito, like in a blanket. And she was like, tighter, tighter, tighter. And she would literally be like, you know, almost like suffocating inside this blanket. and She would just lie there for a bit and then she would get to, like, come out of it and, like, if you could see me now, I'm, like, throwing my arms in the air. But that's what it felt like. She was really, like, coming out and she would replay it over and over and over. And after a period of time, I'm like, oh, I see what's happening here. She's replaying the part of her birth where she didn't have choice and autonomy around when she got to come out that she was taken out and here she is like being squished inside and you know often when I read when we talk about her birth she was like mommy I was inside of you and I didn't want to come out I just wanted to stay in there because it was so cozy you know this is the language that she's using now at, at five and six But in this moment where she was like, she didn't have that vocabulary yet, maybe to explain to me how she felt, she was using it in this game. And we played this game. I went on for a year where she would, we'd call it the Rito, wrapped in a burrito. She'd say, Rito, Rito. And I'd wrap her up and witness this experience of her almost like rebirthing herself over and over and over. So that was really powerful. The second time was less obvious to me, but I definitely, I felt it after I was doing some physical holding with Kiki, which I'd never really done before. I'd done a lot of touching, but we'd moved to this place where I could see there was big feelings. And I thought, I'm just going to try this. And I sort of brought her into my arms and had my arms around her and I was holding her. And she was in the deepest release I've ever experienced. It was like screaming and moving and it was like really cathartic and I was just holding her and sitting there I had my arms around her and I'm saying I'm here with you I love you and I kind of at one point let her go to see what would happen because I thought oh maybe like maybe she does want to go maybe she's had enough she came out and kind of looked around for a moment and then got my arms pulled them back around her and pulled herself back into me and continued to release And it went on for about 45 minutes and I just stayed in it. I was really calm. I was so connected to her. And at the end, she was sort of like dropped down between my legs, came out and kind of just looked at me and went, okay, I'm back. And we just cuddled and I said, I love you. And as I sat there and sort of watched her and we reconnected back to that really beautiful attunement again. I went, oh my God, that was her birth. Like I just had this deep knowing and it wasn't through words. She didn't say anything. We've never talked about it since, but I just had this deep knowing that she moved that piece for her to be able to come into the world and how much more she was in balance within herself after that. So I really feel like sometimes we might hear things, but when we, again, it's looking really good below what's going on and really starting to understand that we have mini traumas and major traumas that happen throughout our whole life and that this is the tool that can support them to move that. And it was just the most amazing experience I've ever had.
0: Wow. Wow, I got goosebumps listening to those two stories. And I've I've heard one of them before, but it just, yeah, it's so powerful, isn't it? And I love that sense that I loved your honesty at the beginning about the fact that you were like, nah, (laughs) can't be true. Um, and then you see it in action. And that's what Marion always talks about as well, about us as parents being researchers and our own researchers of our own children rather than it being necessarily something that we automatically think, oh, well, yeah, so-and-so said it's true or at least it's written it in a book, so it must be true, but it's actually these these opportunities to witness it in our own families and the power of it that's so beautiful. And what I love as well about this is that it, it supports us to trust more and more our feelings And our children's feelings and knowing that we have these powerful, innate healing mechanisms through play or tears or a combination of the two or tantrums or rages or whatever to release. And so I think what's really powerful when we start to really understand that that is what's going on for our children or for ourselves is that we can see when as parents, we're having really big reactions to our children. It's got nothing to do with them or their behavior. And it's got everything to do with us and our unhealed trauma and our parts that are being touched. And again, I remember when I first heard that, mm-hmm. uh, I think it must have been, I read it somewhere in one of Aletha's books, can't even remember. But at the time, I remember thinking, nah. Uh, That's not what's going on at all. It's just because the kid's been really annoying, so it's stressful. (laughs) Um, And I've seen it again and again and again. And and I love how Aletha has this uh, broken cookie phenomenon that, that comes into this too for our children and for ourselves. And sometimes we might see our kids having huge reactions or see ourselves having huge reactions to something that seems much, much smaller than that. And when we come with that from a traditional parenting perspective, we would be thinking, oh, they're making a mountain out of a molehill, drama queen, you know, all of those kind of judgments. But when we see it from an aware parenting perspective, we're just so amazed by the wisdom of our bodies when when we're supported to use these powerful innate mechanisms that we have access to, to offload so much stress and tension and suffering and to get it out of our bodies and how wise our bodies are sometimes to to sort of backpack on to some event in the present a whole load of feelings from the past and then they're gone they're out that's it it's gone so yes it's it's, and I've just seen it happen and I know you have too and with with our families and with all the clients we work with as well but it's just phenomenal Mm
1: -hmm. yes Oh, I just want to like sing it to the rooftops, you know, that sort of vibe. Like I really want to just like shout it out there because that really is the most amazing part about it. And I think when we can link in often what's happening for us in the present with what's happening in for something painful for us in the past, it gets so much clearer that this is not a, about them, it is about us. And then that's why, you know, you and I are so big on supporting people to go and get the support they need, whatever that looks like for them. To really be able to do this work, to be able to show up in these ways, because we all sometimes we don't even necessarily remember what's happened in our past. It's more just an embodied feeling that's coming up, you know, whether that be frustration, powerlessness, rage, resentment. And we can work with that. We can work with that feeling to release it and to come back into the present and be with our children. And that's really what this is about. Like we often say, people come to aware parenting because, oh, I'm going to hold space and I'm going to do the play, and then they realize oh, actually, I've got to actually do all of this stuff for myself first. I've got to like reparent myself in order to do aware parenting. So people think they're coming for their children, but they actually come for themselves and how powerful that is to really have that revelation of wow, I'm really shifting things. And that's how we see this cycle changing. So I just love all of that that you just shared. It's so powerful.
0: Mm, yeah. And it's such a game changer as well, isn't it? When big things come up for us in the moment. Instead of I used to just fight it. I used to like just not give it any attention. And and just feel annoyed and upset that I had this yucky feeling inside, but kind of ignore it and just try and focus on the children and do my best to be the calm parent or to, to be listening to their feelings. But when I really started to embody this and I would just, I love it now when, when I have big reactions to things. I mean, it's not that it's not deeply painful because it is deeply painful, but I can now go, oh, wow, what what is this? What's there for me? And sometimes it's just as simple as going, wow, what what is there for me? And actually seeing what's there for you and actually then just giving yourself a bit of love. Sometimes you need external help with that process, but just even being aware and acknowledging that the the parts that are yours really helps us to stay compassionate and kind to our children. It's just... It's so lovely, isn't it? And I think the thing about play that's so nice too is that lots of us as adults didn't get played with when we were children or or lost connection with that playful side of us because we had a pretty hard time. And when we recognize the importance of play and we see it in our children transforming and healing for them – we are really encouraged to bring some playfulness to our own lives and, and more laughter and more, more laughter in connection with our children and more play in connection with the children, but also tending to those needs for us as adults as well. So that's also beautiful too, isn't it? Mm-hmm. Yeah, I love that. So the next one that we thought we might talk about is A sort of combination really of of aware parenting and also polyvagal theory of Stephen Porges. I don't know if people are familiar with that or not, but if they aren't, I recommend going and having a read. But in Aletha's new beautiful book, Healing Your Traumatized Child, she talks a lot about the main central nervous system states that our children and ourselves can be in. And the first is this sort of hyper arousal fight flight state. The second is a a dissociation or freeze state. And the third is the sort of connected, calm, balanced state, which is known in this polyvagal theory as this ventral vagus state. But those are the three main there are there are others, fawn and so on, but these are the three main ones that Aletha talks about. What what do you want to say about that, Danny?
1: Well, I really want to hear you talk about this because I think that you speak so beautifully about it whenever, you know, we talk a lot about it in our community when it comes up in whether that being questions or and I think you've got a really deep understanding on it. So did you want to maybe share a little bit of a, of a definition for okay. each one and then we can just weave in some stories of where we've seen that with our own children and for ourselves potentially?
0: Sure. Well, Alitha talks about this these three things in relation to trauma, and she talks about how you know, any experience that our children might have that is perceived as being traumatic or threatening or difficult for them can potentially push them into these nervous system states. And this all happens spontaneously. And then often if our children are rem- reminded in some way of an initial traumatic experience, they get re-pushed back into these states. And often yeah, these states are states that we're designed to be in temporarily for a short period of time in order to survive threat. This is how it, evo- yeah, you know, how we evolved. And they're not designed for us to be in these states chronically. So, she talks about the hyperarousal or fight flight state, and she just—I desc- really recommend people reading her book, *Healing a Traumatized Child*, because she talks in real detail about the neurobiology of these states. But essentially, what happens in that state is that our sympathetic nervous system is activated and we produce adrenaline and cortisol. And it that often shows up in our body in, in terms of big, big movements. And the blood flow is, is pushed out from our internal organs to our legs and to our arms so that we can literally fight. And this is what our ancestors would have used to, to survive if, if we were attacked by a lion, for example, we would either fight the lion to survive or we would run away. And this is often experienced in humans as, as anxiety. It's this feeling of arousal and danger. The second one is this dissociation state or this freeze state. And in this, our parasympathetic nervous system is activated. And we produce uh, adrenaline and cortisol as well, but we also produce dopamine and endorphins. And it it shows up in ourselves as shutting down or switching off, dissociating, and it is in polyvagal theory. It's it's described as being like the dorsal branch of the vagus nerve in high tone, and it's often experienced in adults as as depression, that kind of shut down, deep deep feeling. And the third is this lovely state that we're aiming for and aiming to to activate and get back into through going through these other states and using our powerful healing mechanisms to come back to this state of connection and engagement. And in polyvagal theory, that's known as the the ventral vagus, the social engagement system. And this is again, using our parasympathetic nervous system. But in this aspect of the parasympathetic nervous system, it contrasts with the dissociation state because there's an absence of fear so we have a feeling of safety, we're feeling calm, we're feeling connected, we're feeling safe and secure. And this is the balance that we're looking for in aware parenting when we're looking to support our children back to balance. It's this state that we're looking to support them into. And we can see then why like emotional safety is so important in, in aware parenting, such an important part of healing. So there are other states of our nervous system, but these are these are the main ones that are related to to aware parenting. Mm.
1: I love that. And I think something that we we actually spoke a little bit about this last night in our community. And something that you said as I'm listening to you speak is it, it can be confusing sometimes if we're like, oh, what state are they in? And you know, it's not, it's rather to sit with and try and work out what's happening so we can show up with the correct tools to support our children in what they're experiencing in that moment. Did you want to talk a little bit about that? Because you spoke about that really beautifully last night. I'm not sure what you mean. So. <laughs> well, you last me? night on, yeah. um, in our call, you were sort of, we went through these different states and you mentioned that like if our child's dis- disassociating, if we turn up with like the right kind of play in that oh, moment, yeah. that can support them. Or if we turn up, you know, like if we hold a limit in that moment, yeah. Yeah. they might not be able to move through the feelings with it because they're <laughs> dissociating.
0: Yeah, sorry. Yes. So um, so Aletha talks about the balance of attention, which, again, I suppose would be a a list of three potentially, because what she talks about is the, the need for our children to have this sense that they feel safe. And they also feel a connection to the feelings in order for healing to occur. So we want to have a state where the, the feelings of distress and the feelings of safety are balanced. And so we offer that to our children th- through how we connect with them. And if there is too much distress and not enough safety, so it's the scales are tipped in that direction, then our children aren't able to to process and to release and to use these mechanisms to heal and to, to let go of this trauma because they don't feel safety. And that's such a crucial ingredient of the process. And if, on the other hand, there is too much safety and not enough connection with the feelings, then they also can't go into that. So in the first state where there is not enough safety, they are pushed back into hyperarousal and they can often be re-traumatised if they are in in that state. And and if there's too much safety and not enough connection to the feelings, then they're likely to go into dissociation.
1: Mm, I love that. And I think that is just so such an important part of understanding when we're coming and working with our children in this way. We are, like like Marion and you mentioned, it's like we're researchers and we really have to start getting really good at observing and identifying what's really happening for them so that we can show up and maybe bring in that bit of play when they are in one way, like that hyper arousal, maybe that's when we can bring in the play and sort of move through these feelings together or set a limit so that they can get to those feelings that are underneath. But again, it, it has to have a certain amount of safety that comes in next to it, right? Because otherwise that's going to tip, like you mentioned. And equally, if they're disassociating and they're in that state, that wouldn't be the time to like their thumb sucking, pull their thumb out their mouth and be like, I'm not willing for you to suck your thumb, right? right? Because then that is going to re-traumatize and not bring in the safety that they really need to release the feeling. So I think it's really important, even if we, we kind of go, well, that just is really sciencey and I, I don't quite grasp it. it. It's more about understanding the different phases that they can go in. And more importantly, how we as the adult can show up to support and to work with it so we can get back into that balanced state that you were speaking about.
0: Mm, Yeah. And again, that's why I really recommend Elisa's beautiful new book, because she does talk about all the science. And for some people, the science, I mean, I I like reading all that stuff, but she also then talks about how we can use this information to support our children best. And she talks about it in a lot of detail, but One of the things that I think is really helpful to remember is particularly around play and how powerful play is for supporting healing in our children is understanding how it brings both of these components, the safety and the connection to the distress. So if we're going into symbolic play, for example, and we are right there with our children, we're making lots of eye contact and we're on the ground right next to them and we're participating in the play, they feel this amazing sense of safety. And from that space, they can start using the dolls to act out something traumatic that they've experienced, for example. And so it's play is such a beautiful way of offering that balance of attention.
1: Mm, yeah, I love that. That's so important, isn't it? Yeah. 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 Is there anything more you wanted to say on that?
0: No, not really. I, I'm just okay. aware, I'm aware of the time, Danny, and I'm thinking we've got quite a lot more to say. So we might do two episodes two. on this.
1: Yeah, I agree. And- the exact same thing. <laughs> <laughs> so I'm just wondering if we want to
0: just give some examples again. You gave that beautiful example of of the birth trauma healing. Are there any other examples that you might want to give about how you've supported your children through through listening to feelings or through play or other times that you've brought in this focus on, on some of these things?
1: Um, I want to think of a time that I haven't really oh, spoken about because I know we've done lots around the dummy. I think I've spoken about the hair brushing example before, which was really about listening to my own feelings first. I want to think of another time where I really had to listen or move in. I mean, I I think with my girls, what I've noticed, and I, I have spoken about this, but maybe not on any of the podcasts, is that they both need different things and I think when Kiki was born I just assumed that it would be exactly the same like oh we've done this before and so she'll just be the same as what Mali is but really that their structural makeup is different and one of the things I've really really felt into and particularly in the last sort of year is that you know because Mali didn't have that initial beautiful start to life with aware parenting Her nervous system naturally moves into suppression because I suppressed her for so long. And so she needs a lot more from me to show up with that safety, to show her that I really am here and I really am willing to listen. And I would say it's only been in the last year and particularly maybe even the last six months where I've really noticed that. In the beginning, I had to really like take her into a room, shut a door, sit in front of the door, do that beautiful dance, this balance of attention of coming in, going out, coming in, going out, to really allow her the opportunity to get to the feelings, to have the release. And there was a lot of unsuccessful times in that, I feel. There was a lot of me powering over, like moving into this place of you need to have this release instead of truly coming from that grounded presence of I'm willing for you to have this release. And I'm starting to see this great shift now where because it's it's like she knows now that I can really offer her that, it's taking less and less for me of doing that, that we can do it in other places. So before it was mainly just happening in her room, it needed to be in a physical space and it needed to be quite physical, like I'd have to move into holding. Now I can come really gently and maybe just gently touch her back and say, you know, this, this morning, for example, it was Kiki had five coins and she had one and it was like, oh, exactly that fairness, you know, it it feels really unfair that Kiki has that and you don't have that. And that must be really hard for you. And then just into that, into those, those feelings straight away. Whereas Kiki, on the other hand, sort of came into the world and, you know, I found a way of parenting when it was like, it was four months and maybe I didn't do as much with her, but I was Uh, definitely more aware of it a lot earlier and so her natural state is to go into feelings quite quickly and so I often don't have to do very much she will move there so much quicker but to stay in that place it needs a different you know where with Marley I, I sort of feel like I have to work to go there with Kiki it's almost like if I go there too much then she'll pull herself out. And often what I do for Marley, which is to be quite physical and to, to touch and all that sort of stuff for her is really needed. But for, for Kiki, if I go in and I'm really like, no, and that sounds really hard and she pulls herself straight back out, she's like, that's too much. So what we're really talking about, I feel like is really symbolic of what I'm seeing. And it, it it's teaching me that we all need something different when we have someone showing up for us. Just like for me, there are certain people I feel really safe with and that hold me and I can really connect with those feelings because maybe they reflect something really beautiful or they hold me in a way that's needed where there's other people where I feel like, no, nah, that doesn't feel this that right for me and I don't really go to the same place. And so I think it's acknowledging that as humans we're complex and that we're all designed differently and we all have different needs, but I'm really starting to feel into this idea that each child has and needs something different of us. And I think that's really in a nutshell what, what we've sort of spoken about previously today.
0: Mm, that's amazing. I love how you described that. Absolutely. And I think yeah, our children are all unique. And that's why this beautiful approach isn't like a one size fits all. It's always about tuning in. And that's where the attune we come back to that attunement again doesn't and and Yeah, I loved how you talked about it as being a dance, because it it is a a dance. And that suppression is is so common for children. In fact, all children, I imagine, will be suppressing feelings to some degree, because they're so dependent on us for such a long time, as a species for such a long time on us, and they can't run away, and they can't fight. And so it's very, very common for children to go into that dissociation. So it, it is such a such a beautiful dance, how to support them out of that. And yeah, I noticed that with my children too, certainly like how they responded uh, or how they were best supported when they had feelings, certainly with my son because I didn't listen to feelings and I suppressed his crying when he was young because I didn't know about aware parenting until he was like two and a half. So for him, it was always much easier to connect and to support the release through play and through laughter than it was through the tears And he's had many, many big cries in his life, but he was much more inclined to use play spontaneously and still is as an adult. Like he still, uh, often whenever there's big feelings going on in the house, Sol will always find a way to bring laughter to it. And it's so beautiful. The other day we had this really difficult experience that Jada and I had had that brought up big feelings for both of us. And we were on the phone to Sol and he he was on FaceTime with us. I mean, he was... We were crying with laughter what he was saying about the situation to support us all to heal, and it was just that's his way. And, of course, as, as our children get older, we can bring in more talking and that kind of thing. But with Jada, she went into tears really quickly as a child and would cry so easily and for long periods of time and release so much that way. And now increasingly as she got older, there would be more, more play for, for releasing as well. And she does still cry. And Joda will say to me now, oh, mom, I haven't had a good cry for a long time, and I feel like I need one. And then I know that she will find a way over the course of the next few days to to get into those feelings and to bring that to me. But yeah, they are so, so different. And I think it's really important for us, like you were saying, for adults as well, like and for clients that we work with. It's really important that you find somebody that you feel really safe with. And, you know, I've had people in my life who I've connected with, but I know who who the people are where I feel really safe to be really raw and really vulnerable and really share and get support so that I can shift things. So, yeah, that's that's very important for us
1: too. Even as I'm listening to you speak that, like just how powerful it is to grow up with this as your imprint in your story and your inner knowing, like your inner compass of feelings. Like this morning, as you sort of said, Jada and how she acknowledges that she now needs to move and she has feelings that she can feel them there. I'm now reflecting that into my girls who are, are learning the language of what that means. And so this morning, while I was sort of releasing with Marley, Kiki's sort of standing over there and she goes, oh, she's just got some feelings. And I'm thinking like, how powerful is this at four and six to be able to witness this and know that it's normal and that we express and we can label it as something and we can understand it, that that then becomes when they're teenagers, like Jada's age, that they can sort of stand there and go, ah, it's feelings that are inside of me. And I know that I need to have release and I'll do something to get me to that place where I know that it's safe for me to have that. And I think that, is the magic of aware parenting, you know, not having had this, as we spoke about in our last episode together, to moving into this place, like having this deep understanding of it and embodying it so that our children know it and understand it. And they don't have to do all this research like we did in order to do that if they choose to have their own children or whether they choose to do it with friends or family or, you know, how they show up in the world, basically.
0: Mm, Yeah. Yeah, I love that for, for our children so much and that they know that, yeah, if they've got feelings, they can reach out for support. It doesn't mean there's anything wrong with them. It's not something that you have to be ashamed about or deny or push down or you actually just find find spaces to get that support that you need. I love that. Yeah. <laughs> and, we, and all of those conversations around feelings and the vocabulary that they have is just extraordinary, isn't it? And, and we have a joke now in our family as well, When ever like the dog's upset or, or I'm upset or maybe yeah, my husband might say something and I might be like not feeling very compassionate and I might sort of invalidate him or whatever, or just deny what he's just said. Or my, one of my children will say something like, oh, you're not really holding heart space for his feelings, mom. And so it just becomes like, it's just a normal part of life. I just was completely unaware of it at their age. And yet they are, they're so, so aware and it's so normalized. It's just beautiful, isn't it? Mm, I love that so much. It's really beautiful. Yeah. Mm. Wow. Well, I think that might be a beautiful place to end. We will come back to talking more about this other aspects of, of lists of three. I want to just acknowledge again Alita and Marion for their amazing work. This is not, you know, this is our understanding of their amazing work. And Thank you so much, Danny, for sharing your beautiful wisdom. I love how our conversations just flow and we share examples. And hopefully this has been helpful for people listening. If you've got any questions after hearing this, please get in touch with us. We'd, we'd love to answer them. And again, if there's anything you'd like us to talk about, please let us know.
1: Mm, Thanks thank so, you much, so much, That was beautiful. Thanks so much.
0: Sending love to everyone.
1: Thank you for joining me
0: on Aware Parenting Stories. I hope you enjoyed this episode. To find out more, please visit my website www.awareparenting.com.au and follow me on social media at Aware Parenting with Joss. I wish you much connection and love on your parenting adventures.